from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Mazelin. We'll talk about some sports topics of local interest. we got a gambling segment we'll get to uh, where Rick called it last week. It was time to fade me. I can tell you it was a fadeable week for sure. And then my favorite portion of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic, sports or otherwise, go to the Twitterverse, now known as X. And hit up hashtag ask skinny anything. And Rick, we'll get to that gambling segment, but boy, oh boy, it uh, the, the the field goal that that, that goof nut Ryan Day kicked was kind of a kick in the shillelaghs to start the whole day off because that, that was just honestly, what, what are you what, what are we doing? Don't, don't tell me, don't tell me these coaches don't know what the number is. Don't tell me that. Uh, th- they definitely know what the number is. And he, even worse than that was Maryland getting inside the five and their second drive of the game with a chance to go up by two touchdowns, and they elect to kick a field goal. Yes. You're not beating Ohio State in the Big Ten with field goals, folks. That's correct. Score if you get inside the five. Let's let's yeah. try that if you have some momentum. Put, yeah, 19 put a little and a half pressure on Kyle McCord. Nine, yeah, exactly. And we'll get to that in a little bit, too. But 19 and a half was, was an ugly number for me, and that kind of started my whole downfall for the rest of the day into the next day into – well, it was just a bad weekend. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I think you must have done worse personally than in our actual pick them because you ended up at 500 on the, no, on the well, pick them. So it wasn't too bad. All right. It felt it felt bad. Let's just go with that. You had a couple of tough losses for yes. sure. But uh, let's jump into the Bengals, first of all, to start this show. They beat the Cardinals 34 to 20 on Sunday. Joe Burrow completed 36 of 46 for a season high of 317 yards and three touchdowns. All three of those, of course, went to Jamar Chase. He finished the game with a single-game team record of 15 receptions for 192 yards. Essentially, the offense was back, finally. Skinny, how much of that performance by Burrow and Chase and the Bengals' offense was Burrow being healthy again? And how much was Arizona's defense being garbage, which you told us they were last week on the show? Yeah, I, I think a little bit of both. I mean, there's no doubt. Um We've seen what Joe Burrow can do when he's healthy. So this wasn't some revelation that uh, that that he's healthy and oh my gosh, look at the numbers he put up. No, we know we can do it when healthy. And that was kind of the point of our conversation last week and kind of a point of a column I wrote last week was, you know, it's time for him to take the band-aid off a little bit. It's time for the coaching staff to take the band-aid off. And if he's going to go out there, let it rip. And he did. I mean, I, and and you know, maybe he needed that first little little move um, down by the goal line where he slid a little bit to his right to buy a little bit of extra time. And he said that was kind of the first time he felt, okay, I, I can do this. And then you can see he really started to feel himself on that scramble where he slid and then dropped the mic, dropped the football, like I'm back. Um, and and I, I do think that um, you know, a healthy Joe Burrow, this offense is going to score in the 30s more times than not. But so also, let's face it, that's a bad football team in Arizona, especially a really bad defense in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, they they had no chance against Jamar Chase. None. And something that we've talked about multiple times this year, and I've been harping on it, that all of a sudden now everyone is talking about this week, is the different ways that the Bengals used Jamar Chase and force-fed him the football in this game. So I, I, my thing is, we need to have it one way or the other with, with this. Either Arizona's defense stunk, and that's why they were able to get Jamar Chase involved so damn much, or you should have been doing this sooner. There's only two ways about it. Either either the defense has taken him away all year and Arizona just couldn't well, do that, or you should have been doing this a lot sooner. I, I will say the last three games, they really have kind of done that. I mean, the last well, three games, 43 t- targets, 34 catches. That's, and they that's won a two of lot of three. three-game span, man. Yeah, and they won two of the three. Correct. And the other one was Joe Burrow really just struggling, quite honestly. I don't think that was as much on uh, not trying to get the ball to Jamar Chase. I think well, it was just you, you, I've got a few do much. on this. Yeah, I've got a theory on this a little bit too, Rick, and and it stems with 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 Tyler Boyd. I, I I truly believe he's lost a step, and I think for you know for the last couple of years and even into the early part of this season, you had the big three and you could trust all of the big three, and it was a matter of which one was going to get the mismatch on a given play or a given game, and that was the guy that was going to have the big game. But I do believe now with Tyler Boyd, and I, and I go to that Tennessee play down the middle of the field. Maybe the Tyler Boyd of a year or two ago catches that ball because he does have that extra half a step or step. And Burrow maybe has stopped trusting him a little bit. I mean, you know, and that's that's why they're moving Jamar Chase all over the place. A, to create mismatches for him, but also because got a guy out there who honestly, the age is starting to show a little bit. And I got to try to get Jamar in the slot and take Tyler out of the slot just because I don't know if I can trust that spot anymore. Yeah, I, I mean – I actually agree with you on that, but I'd also say 
that is a miss by the Bengals coaching staff if that's what's been going on. Like they get comfortable with the idea that Joe Burrow is so good at spreading the ball around and using all their weapons that they just kind of go out there and play and wherever the ball ends up, it ends up because that's what it feels like they did to start last season. And it's like what they did to start the first two games of this season. Then lo and behold, you get to game three and it's like, we're screwed. We got to win one. Let's just throw the ball to Jamar 20 times and you win the third game. Now you struggle, obviously, whatever happened to that fourth one, Joe was banged up. But you do the same thing in this and you win it. I'm just I don't understand why that isn't the the game plan every single game, every single week, no matter who you're playing, starting the season. That's what teams do with Justin Jefferson. That's what teams do with Tyreek Hill. They force feed their best player. And I, I get that they've done that the last three games. I'm happy about that. But why waste the first two weeks of the season with your because offense doing no because it's worked that way in the past. It, it worked that way. And, and, and you did. I mean, listen, it's hard. It, it's so discernible when I'm talking about Tyler Boyd, maybe he's lost a step or a half a step that maybe I, maybe I, I'm assuming that because I just don't see him produce the way he used to. I don't see him catch that ball down the middle of the field. And he's at the stage of his career where guys start to lose that. And I do, maybe that catches up to the team as well, that they're not ready to see that. And all of a sudden you do see it. And you're like, all right, well, by God, we're going to have to move Jamar around because we t- we can't trust Tyler to do the things that Tyler used to do. Skinny, that's great that you may not see it, but these guys get paid millions of dollars to be one step ahead and understand Maybe. this stuff, okay? So my point would be, you're doing it backwards, right? Right now you're saying, well, yeah, it works when he's spreading the ball around and everyone's touching it. Okay, yeah, maybe, but you know what also might work? Force feed Jamar Chase, make sure. the defense focused on him, and then spread it around to the lesser players when they're not being covered as well. But I, I, again, I think when you start a season, you're you're going with what you've done in the last couple of years that worked well, which is spreading it around. And then mm-hmm. when you see it finally, and I think I honestly, I think the seminal moment to me was that play in Tennessee of, oh boy, he can't get to that ball any longer. And now, all right, we got to force feed. I mean, it wasn't just Jamar. I mean, Trent Irwin had double the targets, double the catches of Tyler Boyd. That shouldn't happen. Right. But it start. I think that point, the Irwin point, it tells you more about Boyd. But the but the, the Jamar thing should be regardless of what's going on. He's the guy. Get him the ball. It's like you know. I mean, this is this yeah, is I not. Think they, I think they're doing crazy. That. Yeah, well, I, I think they've started to. But again, yeah. they lost two games because they didn't do it, and they did well, the same thing last year. I don't. I don't think. I don't think anything they would have done in game one. They could have brought Isaac Curtis in his prime and Chad Johnson in his prime and put him out there with Jamar Chase. And that offense wasn't doing anything that day. So that I'm gonna push that game to the side. Um, but yeah, I mean, made the last three, there's no question. They have made it a very focal point to move Jamar chase around to create mismatches on almost every play that they can possibly create and then go to him as the target. Yeah. I just get annoyed when people are like, Oh, look at this great job they've done. What a novel thought that the, they've started moving Jamar chase around and giving the ball. It's like, why is that? That should just be the thing. Everyone well, else in the NFL with an elite receiver does that. Let, let me just say this, and it, it's all well and good. And, and your point about Justin Jefferson, Tyree kill, and you can even go to Stefan Diggs in, in, in Buffalo are all well and good. How, how, how Miami do in the playoffs last year? How 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 does Minnesota do force feeding Justin Jefferson? Do they win games, or do they just force feed Justin Jefferson? Do they have Joe Burrow? No, I'm not okay. Part. So it's not apples to apples. Quarterback is the most important position. I guess not, but at the same time, sometimes force feeding guys doesn't equate to winning either. Well, like, but Tyreek Hill has you know they the Chiefs did win when they force fed Tyreek Hill. So no, if yeah, you have the quarterback, you can Kelsey win. too. Yeah, but they were. Ext- I mean. Tyreek Hill is the example that everyone well, has used for how they should use Jamar Chase sure. because that's what you do with an elite player. And that started so, so, with the Chiefs. So let's go to, to, to the Chiefs force-feeding Tyreek Hill. What happened in, in the overtime period where they tried to force one to Tyreek Hill down the field? Um, the Bengals intercepted it. I mean, sure. uh, yes, they've lost one game, but I'd take the Chiefs' last few years over the Bengals' last few years. Yeah, maybe. Really? Yeah. What, maybe? What, what, well, what, Tyreek Hill wasn't there last year either. But, but what, what's that? Tyreek Hill was in Miami last year, so that I right, mean, right? But you're not going to take the Chiefs' last few years, regardless, over the Bengals. Again, they didn't have Tyreek Hill last year. The year they had him before that, the Bengals beat them. Justin, Je- let's go to the last since Joe Burrow has been here. Would you rather be the Chiefs or the Bengals? I'd probably rather be the Chiefs. They won a okay, Super Bowl. That's for Point blank. Period. Yes, that's that's all we were trying Tyreek to. Tyreek Hill wasn't a part of all of that. Uh, not last year. I understand that, but the like, their offense the was good before them. that too. So the year before the Bengals beat them. And the year before that, Joe Burrow hurt his knee. So the last two years with Joe Burrow being healthy, the offense has worked by spreading it around. I get it. I get why they've done it. I get why they're not doing it now. That's my point. I do understand why they have decided okay. Jamar Chase is the guy we have to force feed because we're without T. Higgins for starters and Tyler Boyd's lost a step. I, I, I just disagree with that's why you should be force feeding Jamar Chase. You should just do that, period. Just do it. 
I mean, that's that's it. Why, why do you want to give away? I mean, we'll end this now, but why do you want to give away two games at the beginning of every year? I don't understand that. I don't think they give them away. I think sometimes this is a feeling out process of, listen, we've had the big three. We believe in each of the big three. We believe in the mismatches they create. And, oh, oh geez, Tyler, maybe he's lost a step now. Didn't see that really coming. And voila, here we are. All right. We'll move and, on. And I will tell you, Tyler Boyd is brooding badly. He, he waved off a couple of reporters on Sunday. Um, and that's not like him. I mean, he's very talkative. He's always been very open to talk to. Uh, I think he sees a little bit of the writing on the wall of, boy, this is not going to end all that well for me personally. Yeah. Well, we, we could talk about that for a while. I'll move on just to, to not bore people. But I, I I mean, I just I I don't understand. They said the exact same things each of the last two years by game three because they had lost the first two. And they're like, oh, we, we got to do something different. And lo and behold, the something different is the same thing every time. Uh, let me ask you this, though, Skinny. Can we move on from Joe Burrow's injury or not yet? Um, yes and no. Um, the yes would be the fact that he says he's felt as healthy as he has is close to hundred percent what we saw on Sunday, but I do think it's going to be one of those. Every time he moves in the pocket or scrambles, you're going to hold your breath wondering is the tweak coming again? Because, um, all the reports of these injuries, these type of injuries are, unless you let it fully heal, you're probably going to hurt it again at some point. He actually told us yesterday. I don't know if you heard it, Rick. It's the first time I've heard him say it where he said this tweak was in a different spot than the first one that he suffered in training camp. And it probably was in a little bit of a less severe situation. So this wasn't him actually retweaking the same injury. This was him, I guess, straining a different part of his calf. So that, that came as a little bit of a, an, an interesting observation or, or, or statement that he made. So I think we can move past it, but we're not going to move past it until we see him get through the next how many weeks without re-injuring it. Cause it's just, the fear is there. I mean, when he scrambled on Sunday, I kept thinking, He's going to pop it. He's going to pop it. He's going to pop it. And he didn't, which is great. And maybe, maybe he, it does fully get back to fully functional and he's good to go from the rest of the way. I feel like if we get through this Seahawks game and into the bye week with him healthy, then you'll feel much better. About yeah, I think the, so. That's fair. Yeah. The, about the fact that, okay, he's full, he maybe not fully healthy, but 90% at least and 90% of Joe Burrow is more than enough in the NFL. And if you give him a full off week to rest in addition to this, I, I think you'll feel pretty good about that. Um, how much does the outcome of this Seahawks game change your opinion about where this season is headed? Uh, I think it changes significantly because, um, you know, if you get this thing back to 500 where Cleveland's probably going to play without Deshaun Watson or a compromise Deshaun Watson and they play San Francisco on top of it, they're going to be at three losses. You know, Baltimore is not exactly showcased itself as a, as a, you know, upper echelon team. It's probably a playoff caliber team, but they've got to play Tennessee and London. They could possibly lose to get to three and three and Pittsburgh's on a bye. I mean, you may look up on Sunday and, and Pittsburgh might be in first place in this division by half a game. And they're arguably the worst team in this division. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the, uh, the standings in general, it's, it's pretty much what we talked about, what we expected going into the season. It's a difficult division to be in, but at the same time, they're going to beat up on each other. So, I, I mean, I do think the Bengals have more than a um, a, a little wiggle room here, despite the, the rough start, because there no one's going to run away with this division. I think you're going to be able to hang around, and that that should give Bengals fans a little hope here, I think. But you, you definitely have to win this one, in my opinion. If you lose the home game against the Seahawks, all the math starts getting really difficult. And I know last year they won on that run. They won a bunch of games that we thought were going to be difficult for them in a row. They have Joe Burrow, so they can still do impressive things, even in the NFL. But I, I would feel a lot better about it if they can get this home win against the Seahawks and get back to 500. Yeah, and, and if you remember when I did the season prediction, I, I had 11-6, and six, I think, is the record. And if you remember, I put games in likely win categories, likely loss categories, and then swing games. And I think I had seven swing games, and so far they've lost three of those. They lost the, the first two, which I thought were swing games. And they lost the Tennessee game, which I thought was a winnable swing game. This Seattle game is one of one of my seven swing games. So they'll play four swing games here before the before the bye. They're zero three at the moment in those swing games, and I had them going four and three to get to that eleven and six. Because again, just it doesn't mean they're going to lose. But in the likely loss category, still still to come is a game at Baltimore, is the game at San Francisco, is the game at Kansas City. You lose that one, and you lose the likely loss games. Well, now we're at seven in the loss category, and you give yourself no wiggle room at that point. Yeah, Skinny, I wanted to ask you about the defense, too. They, they've made some plays in this game for some turnovers, finally, but 
overall, I think it was still an underwhelming performance by the defense. Is there reason to believe that there's upside for this unit? Do you think they can get better? Are they getting better? I do. And, and listen, you can't take these plays. They've given up way too many explosive plays, especially in the run game. And a couple of them are fluky. I mean, the, the Ty J Spears run after he fumbled it, where everybody runs to the ball and he comes out the other side. The one where James Conner on Sunday goes one way and comes out the backside of the other, and then they miss a tackle down the field to give up. They've given up those explosive plays. Uh, but Louie Anarumo's pointed out to us, and he's right. I, I don't, he's not making excuses, but for the most part, they've done pretty good overall against the run. It's these big chunk plays that are just killing them at times and the missed tackling. You know, Joseph Osai missed a tackle on Demarcado's touchdown run. I mean, he just ran right through the tackle, and that, that can't happen. He should set the edge for starters, and then he's there to make the play and doesn't make the tackle. Nick Scott on the James Conner run had a chance to turn that into a 16, 18-yard run. Instead, he misses a tackle, and he gets another you know, 10, 15 yards out of it. That's the part that's a little disconcerting, but that's also the fixable part to it. Um, and I know fans are, I got a couple of tweets about, oh, they need to get on the pads and start tackling. It doesn't happen in the NFL anymore like that. People get over that part of the program. And, you know, and Luke made a point. He said, you know, we asked about what can you do? He said, listen, we're doing the same tackling drills we've done the last few years. And we've been a really good tackling team. You tell me. And he's right. I mean, I think at that point, it's up to the players. Go make the tackle. You're drilled in it. Go do it. Yeah, there's a little thing called a collective bargaining agreement yes. these days that uh, you're just not going to do what you used Great to Lombardi, do. Go get up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry, folks. But I I think there's probably a mentality thing here uh, to, for whatever reason that this team has lost a little bit of what they had the last few years that made them tough, that made them good. I don't know if that's losing a leader or two off the back end. I think that's overblown, in my opinion. We've talked about you know losing a couple safeties isn't the difference between your run defense being what it was right. the last few years right. and what it's been this year. So uh, I think that's overblown. But I do think something is just a little off about this group, and maybe it is a lack of leadership for whatever reason right now. But I I, I want to think they can get it right because Lou Anarumo has been so good with this group and not just be good, but good at fixing things and, and figuring out what's wrong and making it better. Whether We've talked a lot about the adjustments in games before, but I think that's more probably a thing that you adjust as the season goes along, you find out, what what's working best. And also some of the things that it seems like teams have been taking specific shots against the Bengals, like multiple teams have been doing the same things and it's been working. So I do think there's probably a, a, a area or two that they can clean up that'll wipe some of these big plays out that, that they can fix. Yeah. I will say, you know, maybe a play they can all hang their hat on. Cause you know, Jordan battle actually started the second half in place in Nick Scott and, and, you know, Lou said it was anything more than just getting some snaps. I think there was a message that was being sent to Nick Scott of your play is substandard and I'm going to let this kid get a series. I'll put you back in, which he did. And let's see what you got at that point. And then to Nick Scott's credit and Jermaine Pratt's credit. And both those guys have not played all that well this year. In fact, on the touchdown run where Osai didn't tackle, Pratt takes a weird gap and a weird angle. And he actually runs under the play as the guy's spilling out to the side. But on that fourth down play where Josh Dobbs kept it, I had the binoculars on it perfectly. And I watched right before the snap, Jermaine Pratt takes a step and a half to his left as if to know, I see what's coming. I'm going to be in the spot I'm supposed to be in. Well, Nick Scott shoots the gap. Dobbs kind of escapes from him, but has to take a backward step to escape. So he's not moving forward. Pratt comes through clean, makes the tackle. Maybe that's a play they hang their hat on. Nick Scott did his job. Jermaine Pratt did his job. Everybody stopped worrying about trying to do too much. I thought on that touchdown run by DiMarcado, I thought Pratt tried to do too much. He tried to knife through a spot that they're probably inviting him to knife through because the play's already by him at that point. So um, I do think it's fixable because these guys have been, the majority of them, part of a really good defense. And it just, for whatever reason, through five games, there's just been a handful of big plays that have gashed them. And that's the thing that's got to stop. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that I keep going back to is it's a lot of the same guys that have been good here. Right. I mean, it's not there's not a lot that has really changed. I do think Jordan Battle looked pretty good in the moments. Okay? I just like yeah. the way he hits. He's physical, man. Uh, yeah, and Nick Scott has struggled. I mean, he's missed some tackles back there, and that's that's a that's an issue. What's the latest on T. Higgins? He was limited in practice on Wednesday, which I thought was a good step in the right direction. Um, we're doing this before they practice on Thursday. I would assume he's limited again today, and then we'll try to take part in the walkthrough. Um, I do think they had a set of plays they were going to use with him on Sunday, probably some red zone stuff where they could just throw a fade or two. Um, and when he tested it out before the game, it just he just felt discomfort, and they decided to shut it down. I would be willing to guess 
Um, I shouldn't say will. I, I would guess based on where things are at and the fact he was limited, that, that that will probably be the case for him this Sunday, that he will be active and they'll have a limited package of plays for him probably in the red zone just because of his length. All right, and we can spread the ball all around, just like yes, the good Lord and Zach Taylor intended. All right, uh, anything else that that we missed here on the Bengals that you want to get in? No, I, and again, I, you know, I, I, that, that's the part I I made last week of of let's see what this offense does when Joe Burrow is capable of doing the things Joe Burrow is capable of doing, and we saw that we saw everything. We saw finally the deep ball, and whether that had anything to do with the calf or not, I don't know, but I just know watching Joe Burrow extend a couple of plays on ones he threw touchdowns on. Bought a first down with his legs, um, you know, showed some escapability. You know what the dude's capable of, and he showed it. I mean, I, I know there were some people wondering, oh, is, is this is, is he heading down? No, dude was dealing with an injury, and and I think the game plan was unfortunately called with the injury in mind. And so they, I think they wiped all that out on Sunday and said, "You do your thing. We're going to call the game the way we want to call it, and that's that. And let's see where it goes." And where it went was a big victory. Uh, Skinny, I would like to go back to what we were talking about before real quick with the whole Kansas City game that you brought up where they beat the yes. Bengals with Tyreek yes. Hill. I will also point out that Jamar Chase had 11 catches for 266 yards and three touchdowns Actually, in that, that game. That wasn't the playoff game. That was a regular season game. Oh, you're right. But they did win that one, too. Force feeding Jamar Chase, by the way, while That's they were correct. force feeding Tyreek Hill. That's correct. Okay. All right. Let's move on to uh, college football. Normally, we talk about our, our local teams, but first, I want to start off with a regional game. A lot of fans in this area, fans of both teams. Louisville beats Notre Dame this past week, uh, 33 to 20. Louisville jumped 11 spots to number 14. Notre Dame dropped 11 spots to number 21 in the new poll update this week. Uh, I, I, I hate to do this local tie in, Skinny, but this is why Louisville fans were so excited when Scott Satterfield left for UC and they were able to get Jeff Brom. Now, the flip side of this, if I'm a UC fan, I would also say, well, maybe this is why I should be excited for Scott Satterfield because he didn't leave the cupboard very bare, did he? Yeah, I mean, he put some players in place, right? Yep. They have a team there in Louisville still that can be competitive. But I think this is the issue Louisville fans always had is sure. they felt like they had the athletes. They felt like they had the guys to compete, and they kept losing games where they felt like they could win. And uh, this year you're in a game where I don't even think most people felt that they should necessarily win it. In fact, last week, I thought that was my best beat of the week. I was like, Notre Dame six and a half against this Louisville team. No problem. I mean, Jeff Brom's still getting this thing figured out. Incredibly impressive win. Um, With Notre Dame, we go from they finally got the quarterback this year. They're playing this big game against Ohio State. Maybe they have a real chance to compete for the playoffs and a national title. And two weeks later, or three weeks later, we're now talking about, is their season over? And Rick, they still, if, if you know, just with the, if the Ohio State loss would have been the only one on their resume, they still would have been very much in the hunt for the college oh. football playoff. They oh, still I, had a ton to play for coming out of that Ohio State game. Absolutely. Now let me ask you this, because they have another huge game. And this is a tough thing for Notre Dame, and something that I think may have snuck up on them is you go huge emotional game against Ohio State, you play a really tough game against Duke, and then you go on the road to play at Louisville in a night game that was proved to be very tough obviously as they lost i you do have to wonder if maybe a little fatigue or maybe. just being drained crept in there but now you turn around and you have a home game against number 10 usc this week uh, i mean obviously the two losses is is tough to come back from in college football but yeah, d- does a win against number 10 usc give you any hope if you're an Dame fan i don't think so just because i i think there's going to be so many zero loss to one loss teams are hanging around i mean honestly the way it feels like it's heading is either penn state or ohio state is going to Penn State, if it beats Ohio State, probably going to come close to running the table. Ohio State and Michigan can both run the table till they meet each other. And if they play a close game, does the loser get bounced? No, they probably don't. So they're probably still in the mix. So I just think there's too many of those that, that are out there. Um, but, boy, I, you know, if Ohio State – I mean, if Notre Dame loses this game, and let's just say they lose one and maybe two other – at what point does the seat start getting hot for Marcus Freeman quickly? It's crazy that we're even talking about that this that. week. It felt like literally three weeks ago, I thought this is going to be the best Notre Dame season oh, in a them. while. Yeah, I thought they were great. And everything looked so good. I do think there is some blame to go to the coaching staff, quite honestly, at least on the offensive side. They've been a little bit of a disaster there. Uh, defense always looks pretty good, I think. I mean, I tough to say that when you lose 33-20 to 20 to right. Louisville, but I think the defense has been pretty good all year. The offense has been disappointing, in my opinion, given the quarterback that they have. But um, maybe... Maybe we got a little too high on Hartman early in the year. I think that's probably the case, but still, I'm just, I thought this team would be better. And I can't I believe too. we're sitting here looking at two losses, the potential for a third this weekend, maybe, and and really their playoff hopes all but shattered already. So yep. 
we'll move on to the Wildcats, some of our mm-hmm. local teams. A, a tough week for your boys. They dropped down to number 24 in the poll, four spots after they lost 51 to 13 at Georgia. They'll host Missouri at 7.30 this Saturday. But, Skinny, I, I, we were just talking about Sam Hartman with Notre Dame. Um, Devin Leary, is he just not the guy that the coaching staff thought he was going to be when they brought him in and they were talking him up so much? I still think he's got a lot of skill and a lot of ability. He made some pretty good throws in this game, too, but he's not hes not been what I thought he was going to be. And, and now you're getting to the point of the sample size is pretty damn large. You're halfway through the season, for goodness sakes. Um, I think this Missouri game will be telltale of, of where this season goes because if you can bounce back, you still got a chance to, to have a superb season, although you still got Alabama on the schedule. You still have Tennessee on the schedule, and you still have, which gulp, Louisville on the schedule uh, still to play. I mean, so the the, 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 the the trek is not going to be very easy, but is this going to be a woe is us feeling coming out of the Georgia game, or is this just going to be we got our ass kicked, pick yourself up like a man, and go go play Georgia or go play Missouri at home and get yourself the win, get back on track, you're 6-1, and one, at a bye, they're going to have a bye after the, the the Missouri game. They got a week off. It's six and one at the bye. If you'd have told me before the season started, I said I'm going to take it. I don't know what you know how I was going to get there, but I'll I'll take it. I think they would would too. But boy, they got it handed to them, and they didn't help themselves either. I mean, there were some really really stupid penalties committed in that game, and that was disappointing too to see the lack of poise in such a big situation, especially from guys that have that, that have played for a while. Yeah, that the the one thing I expect them to lose to Georgia. Right. I mean, that that's understandable. And that game can get away from you. It's fine that you're never competitive a seven o'clock game at Georgia. I mean, you don't like it, but you can understand it as a fan and see that. The one question I would have is there were so many guys that were just it seemed like absolutely blown coverages, guys with no one 20 yards near them scoring touchdowns. Are these schematic breakdowns at some point? Like something, there was more to it than just Georgia's really good. They have better players than us, and the game got away from us. This was like a you had no shot, and you were not even close to around them half the time. Yeah, I, I think we got false in the false sense of security. At least I know I did of this past defense being pretty damn good. But you got to look back at who you played, especially in the non-con. Vandy's quarterback threw you two picks that were just awful throws. And I talked about how much I don't like Graham Mertz, the Florida quarterback. I know he was 25 of 30, but he just has nothing. He's play, He plays the game in six-yard windows, and they're not very hard to defend. So that's why Florida only scored the 14 points. So I think I got lulled into that false sense. I did think, you know, I, I like the pass rush. I think the combination of the pass rush and the guys on the back end I thought could give Georgia some trouble, and they just didn't. And that's that's why guys were running, running wide open. Now, the, I guess the good part is you're, you're probably not going to face a, a, a passing attack like that other than Tennessee, and I'm not sure Tennessee's passing attack is, is consistent enough to to cause a ton of trouble. I'm not so sure I'm a big Joe Milton guy. But, yeah, I, I think some of that was just a false sense of, of security of we're really good, and no, no, you're not as good as Georgia. You're not even in the ballpark of Georgia. So after this game on his coach's show, uh, Mark Stoops made some comments that have uh, gone you know, viral. Fans have that right. Uh, here they are. It's it, this. This has to do with NIL and Georgia Payne players. Essentially, this became a big thing with a lot of media members taking it and running with it, and I think making something out of it that it wasn't. But I'm but curious before, to get your thoughts. Yeah, before you before you play this, I know what the clip is. Is he alive? He looks dead. <laughs> yeah, we've got the video up here. If you're watching on YouTube, and Mark, he, wake uh, up. How would you describe this posture by Mark Stoops? Like, this is the PE teacher who's filling in for the last period of the day in high school and is just He's, telling you to uh, do your homework and keep correct. it to a low murmur. That would be because that called slumped in your chair or slouching in your chair or both. I think that's slouched. Yeah, slump yeah. would be leaned over, I think. Yeah. Slouch yeah. is what he's doing. All right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fans have that right. I, I give it to him. And, you know, I just encourage him to donate more. Because that's what those teams are doing, and and uh, and uh, yeah, I can promise you, in Georgia, they, they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to these days, and uh, we could use some help. And that's what they look like. You know what I mean? When you have 85 of them, so so uh, uh, I encourage uh, anybody that's disgruntled to to pony up some more. Okay. Do you have a problem with what Mark Stoops said there? No, and, and remember, um, I can't remember the exact comments that. Uh, uh, Nick Saban made. Remember he, when he took shots Texas at, 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 Jimbo. at the Texas A&M thing? That that those comments aren't directed at Georgia. I know that's what they're talked about in in the vein. He's talking about Georgia specifically. This is telling your fan base, your booster base, you need to pony up money to our NIL to get guys like that. I don't think this was a shot at Georgia, and I never thought Nick Saban took a shot at Texas A&M directly. That was more, hey, look what Texas A&M's doing. If you want us to keep up with them, 
you better help us out. I think that's all he was talking about there. And I do. So I know they went viral. I know when you hear that, it sounds like he's taking a shot at Georgia. And I'm not, not a, a, a huge Mark Stoops defender in a lot of ways, to be quite frank. But on this one, I think this was more pointing to his own fan base of you want guys like that. You got pony up. I agree with that. That's the intended target of this. This is at his coach's show. And he was responding to a caller who was complaining about like getting over the hump of beating Georgia. And he, his point was like, and it's not really a hump we're trying to get over. That's a multi-million dollar corporation over there right. that's putting together the best roster money can buy. That is all fair. That is correct. But I also will say, I have no patience for the coaches bringing up the pain players thing at this point. It's all legal. They're all doing it. They're all asking for money. And the thing is about this, I agree with you that he's intending this to say to his fans, pay us money. But there's he also he did say it's allowed these days. So he, wasn't he did. Like he said, yeah. But that's the point that I'll bring up. They all tend to do that. They all start to say, those guys are buying players. And then they follow up with, which is allowed. You're allowed to do it. But it has the little the little note of, they're doing it in a shady way, sort of. And there, there is that, they've always said this in the past, before it was legal. And now it's like, uh, they're allowed to put people's name on it. So they do it and they feel good about it for a second. And they realize, well, wait, that's stupid of me to say, because we're actually allowed to do that. So then they make it into a thing like, I'm trying to fundraise here, which I'll, I'll tell you this. Mark Stoops and all these coaches who keep saying this that are in these like middling level jobs in their conference might want to be careful because here's the issue when you keep asking donors for more and more money, they want more and more results. Absolutely. And the, and the problem for Mark Stoops is his recruiting was ranked 30th or or lower in the country well before NIL started. No, and that, right. now that NIL has been here, it's still ranked about 30th in the country. Georgia has been top five for a, a decade plus. And they always will be. And you can say they were paying players before NIL was a thing or not. I don't really care to get into right. that too much. But that the NIL thing isn't an isn't an issue. Like it it is, but it's always been the same issue. They have better players. So unless you, if you're going to keep asking for more money, guess what? Your donors are going to say, well, we should start beating Georgia then if we're going to spend money like that. And I will be quite frank. That was a poorly coached football team on Saturday night. Georgia was better. Georgia was always going to be better. Play that game 20 times and Georgia doesn't beat them like that 20 times, but Georgia probably beats them 20 times. Um, But that team was poorly coached on that night in many ways, shape and form. So yeah, again, I understand what he's doing, but also look yourself in the mirror, man. I mean, some of this is on you too, bro. And and don't and then complaining about it as if like oh I, that's not this is taken out of context. I was responding to a caller on my coaches. Just quit Wait. saying it. Quit yeah. talking about the nil stuff. It's never going to make you look good. It always makes you look soft. It always makes you look like you're complaining. It always makes you look like you're whining to your fans who do nothing but support you and you're asking for more. You might be right, but there are other better ways to fundraise money for your nil collectives. That's not the time to do it. Don't do it in a whining way. And again. Be careful what you wish for because you might start getting more money and then those donors might get your ass up out of that job because you're not winning and beating Georgia. Yeah, I I appreciate the honest answer and the non-coach speak answer, but if you're going to do the smart thing there, you simply say, we need to play better, we need to coach better, we need to do everything better, and we didn't do any of that stuff on that given night. Yeah, also, also I hate to tell you, that's become coach speak because every coach is saying it. Every coach, when they lose a big game, is like, well, they've got better players. We need more money for our NIL collective. It's like, all right, well... That's that's getting annoying. Quit using it as an excuse. Because right before that, he was said, we're not going to use excuses. And then he follows it up with, we need more money. All right, Ohio State. They put Maryland away in the second half on Saturday for 37-17 to 17 win. Moved up to number three in the polls. I thought the offense was still really sluggish for the first half of that game. Uh, they did get it going in the second half. Yeah, Thank God for Marvin Harrison Jr. He ends Go up on. with eight catches, 163 yards, a touchdown. But... Skinny, why can Ohio State not run the football? They averaged 1.9 yards per carry in this game. Yeah, I mean, their offense now literally is, and and I, I get why Ryan Day probably, it probably takes him a half to figure this out, and it's kind of back to the Zach Taylor thing a little bit. I, I think he's trying to get other things going, and by the when the game is on the line, it's like, all right, nothing's working. Number 18's out there. Let's just keep force-feeding him the ball, and we're going to score when we do that. I don't know. I, I mean, it's obviously at this point an offensive line issue, and I think that's the thing of I'm an Ohio State fan that really worries me when you get into some of these elite games is the defense keeps doing its thing and doing it pretty well. But at what point, like the Notre Dame game, are you going to lose to Penn State or somebody like that 16 to 14? At what point does that come along where you just can't? And they have enough dudes where they can take Marvin Harrison away with two and you have no other real alternative. I, I mean, I know you got other receivers, but for the most part, if you can't run the ball in some of those key games, I think it's going to it's going to get Ohio State. I mean, they still got a little time here to get it right, but again, kind of like with with, you know, 
the, uh, the, 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 the Devin Leary comments earlier. I mean, we're halfway through now. You kind of are what you are, right? Yeah. Well, and the other thing is the offensive line it's struggling in the run game. They don't get much of a push at all. They don't look too confident in the pass protection all the time either. And and Kyle McCord cannot move at all. I mean, he has no mobility, no escapability to make plays. That's what concerns me when you get into those games like Penn State. Is they're going to be blitzing, they're going to have some dudes on the edge, and if that offensive line doesn't hold up, Kyle McCord is not the type of quarterback that can evade the pocket and make some plays for you downfield. So, and then you're really putting a lot of pressure on your defense. And again, I think they're up to the task. And I, I think you saw that. I mean, you know, Maryland had a couple of good drives early, but once that was done with, that was all for Maryland's offense the rest of the day. And Maryland's offense is good. They've been it putting is. up points and yards yeah. on everybody. So I'm not, I'm not trying to take shots here, but I do wonder with this defense, Skinny. They're putting up incredible stats, and they've been so solid, but they're not forcing a lot of turnovers, and they're not getting any sacks. Now, they're not blitzing a lot, so that's part of why they're not getting sacks. But, like, does that concern you at all, that it's going to be, again, when you get into these bigger games, the Michigans, the Penn States, is no. it going to be hard to be perfect all the time without creating the big plays defensively? That's a fair That's a fair point, but I'm I, I'm always more concerned when when you have a defense that is creating turnovers, and that's the only way they are getting stops. I, I think when yeah. you're getting – I think eventually the turnovers will come. Sometimes it's just a product of – they, they come in just waves, and you're right. They haven't come a ton yet, um, but the thing that this defense does is it consistently gets stops, and that, to me, shows how elite the defense is. Yeah, they've been incredibly solid through this year. And again, it's without creating those plays or getting right. those big sacks and putting them in, in like long-distance uh, situations, but um, they've been able to hold up so far. They've got Purdue up this week. Uh, Purdue's two of four with losses to Fresno State, Syracuse, Wisconsin, and Iowa I, I have to imagine this is a an easy win coming up, you would think, for this Ohio State team, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 but this is one game where you do need to get the run game going. I mean, this is not a great Purdue defense either, so it's time, this running attack needs to get going. All right, moving on to Cincinnati. Coming off a bye, they host Iowa State this week. Iowa State is 3-3 three and three with losses to Iowa, Ohio, out of the MAC. And a 30-point loss to Oklahoma, 50-20. to They did beat TCU 27-14 to last week. Um, skinny, C- Cincinnati's last game was two weeks ago. That was the 35-27 loss to BYU. I don't think Iowa State is as good as BYU, but this kind of feels like it might be a similar type game for the Bearcats where you're, you're in a close one, you're the better team. This is one as a fan, you'd really like to see them pull this out at home. Absolutely. And I, I think you, 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 to that point, there's no question. This is a winnable game, very winnable game. Um, that's not a team across from you that's better, that has more big 12 bodies than you do. Um, you, you are better than that. I mean, they scored seven points at Ohio, seven points at Ohio. Um, so yeah, this is a, this would be a disappointing loss. Um, so I, I do think this is more of a litmus test for UC of kind of where they are in the Big Twelve. They're not in the bottom. They're certainly not in the upper echelon. I think they're somewhere in that big middle tier of the Big Twelve, maybe lower portion of the middle tier. But the, but they're at least I think in the middle tier of the Big Twelve. You lose this game, and then you start wondering who do you beat in the league. I think that's the scary part, and I I, I just don't think they lose this game. Yeah, you have to win some of these games. Like the BYU, you're at BYU, sure. playing 10 o'clock, understandable. Well, well, but they're, but they are. They're probably a national championship contender at the moment. So, yeah, that, that and you played them tough. Um, right. That's all cutesy, but this is a team you should beat. Go beat them. Yeah, Iowa State at home. You got to win some of these games if you're going to play in the big boy conference. And this one definitely feels like one of those types of games. Yep. All right, so let's get into our betting segment. I mentioned at the top of the podcast, you were 3-3 three and three last week. I was 4-2. and two. So you've moved to 23, 16, and 1 overall in the season. I am finally above 500 for the first time this year. I'm at 20, 19, and 1. Both of our best bets lost. You had your uh, teaser, and I had my Notre Dame pick. My, so, my, teaser, my teaser was done before it hit noon on Sunday because yeah, I had the, the bills. bills. Lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it didn't take me long to track that bet. I looked up, uh, saw that the Bills had lost to the Jags, and I'm like, okay, Skinny's out on that. So... Uh, Saturday at noon, we've got Ohio State at Purdue. The Buckeyes are a 19-point favorite, and the total is 49. I, I can't get fooled again. They were 19-and-a-half against Maryland. I, I have to go with Ohio State here. I'm not going to get suckered on this one again. I, I think the offense has a, has a nice enough day. Um, certainly, we talk about what this defense can do. I'll, I'll go Ohio State comfortably, 35-10. to 10. All right, 35-10. to 10. Very similar to my score here. I went Ohio State 38, Purdue 10. The the 
both of us are on the under. I'm on the under by a point. You are on the under by a few points there. So OSU and the under, the pick for both of us in that game. Saturday at noon, also, we have Iowa State at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are a five-point favorite. The total is 45 in that game. Yeah, I think UC wins this comfortably. I really do. Um, I'm going to go UC 31-17. I, I think it's a comfortable two-touchdown victory at home. All right, so that would be UC and the over at 48. Over. So we're both on UC and the over here. I'm going a little bit closer than that, though. Just a touchdown spread for me. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth game, but I do think UC will find a way to win it and cover. 31-24 is the final I'm going with there. So both of us on UC and the over and we move to Saturday at 7.30. We've got Missouri at Kentucky. The Wildcats are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 51-and-a-half. Yeah, Missouri and Kentucky feel like they're on similar paths where they've had nice seasons, and then they, you know, Missouri's coming off a tough loss to, to LSU, and also they – thanks for covering not covering that game too, Missouri, with a late pick six. That was beautiful to watch. Sitting on an airplane watching watching that bet go to, go to pieces. Um, I'm going to pick Kentucky. It's probably more with my heart than my head. Um, Missouri's got a lot of flaws defensively, um, and, and I think Kentucky's offense will will get back on track. I think you'll get a lot of Ray Davis in this game. You know, they Ray had some good runs against Georgia. They just got so far behind that they really couldn't use him. So I'll, I'll go Kentucky 34-24. So Kentucky and the over there for me. Kentucky and the over. I also like Kentucky to cover this spread. I think it's going to be a good game, um, but I, I'm kind of with you on Kentucky's offense. I think Liam Cohen actually called a really good game against Georgia. There were some open things that they missed, like wide open throws that Leary didn't hit on, and then uh, they had a couple dumb mistakes, penalties that set them back after they had a nice game, uh, and they really never got into the flow of that game. That also just seems like they take so damn long to get the play. They run no plays. D- dead last in the country, I think, yes. in terms of yes. uh, point or plays per game or whatever it is, they have they have got to get a little bit more rhythm for him. I feel like when they're on the offensive I, side, I would agree. Now, I will say, don't forget, they've also had a kickoff return for a touchdown and two pick sixes. But your point's right. I mean, they also they they, they don't play at a fast tempo. Yeah, it's like they just want to run the clock out, and I I kind of get that given that they're conservative and more of a defensive minded team, but. Um, also, I just feel like it's hard to get in a rhythm if you're the quarterback in the offense. But I'm going Kentucky 27, Missouri 24. So Kentucky in the under for me. That's a notable difference there. We have similar scores, but you're on the over and I'm on the under. So uh, 51 and a half was the total. We moved to Sunday at 1 p.m. We've got Seattle in Cincinnati. The Bengals are a three-point favorite. The total is 45. And I'll also say we had um, Jason commented in for asking anything he wanted to know what are the odds makers thinking with an over a 45 for Bengals Seahawks on Sunday also Bengals still two and a half or three depending where you look seems odd do you you agree with Jason that you're surprised by these numbers here no I, I would think I, I I'm not surprised the Bengals are favored again you have to take this off of a healthy Joe Burrow and what he just did I think that's where they're taking it from now the total seems low to me I'll give you that part Jason I, I'm with you that I, I thought this would be like a 49 ish and especially again if you're taking Joe Burrow's health back into account you're thinking the Bengals offense is going to put up some points, right? So, yeah, I don't think the Bengals being favored surprises me. I I was thought he took that to mean like it was too low of a of a spread, like three oh, was a no, I, no, no. I mean, this is a three and one Seattle team for goodness sakes. Right? Yeah, they've been good. I, I, the number seems totally fine to me. That didn't yeah. surprise me at all. But the total, I guess, is a little low. Yeah, well, I'm going to pick Bengals 27-24, So I'm taking that over for sure. The cover by a half a point if we're going to the two and a half point line. This is going to be a really good game, in my opinion. I mean, you got a lot of weapons on that Seattle side with Kenneth Walker, the three wide receivers, um, and, and I'm going back to the healthy Joe Burrow for me. Um, you know, I know Seattle lost that opener to the Rams and looked ugly in doing so. The Giants game, I know they had, what, 11 sacks, but, but look at, you know, the, the the Carolina's terrible team. So they've got wins over two terrible teams. That win in Detroit was a good win. So I'm not sure we fully know what the Seattle team is either, for goodness sakes. Yeah, they're a hard one to figure out, I think, for me, just because that there doesn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason to the way they've played right. so far. They worry me because, like you pointed out, I mean, they, they put up all those sacks in the Giants game. The win at Detroit is really impressive. So they've shown some things. But I also I don't know that I'm like all in on this Seattle team being good yet, despite their record. So I like Cincinnati here by three. I really like the over like we were just referring to. So um I don't did you give your pick already? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, 27-24 Bengals. Okay, 27-24 for the Bengals. So you're on uh push. What are you gonna Oh, so we're not doing two and a half? I thought it was two. And a half. I'll go it's I'll go. three is the line we got. 
right, let's go 28-24 Bengals. All right, 28-24 Bengals. Bengals and the over for Skinny. I'm on the same thing here. I'm going Bengals 28, Seahawks 21. So Bengals and over for me. Skinny, what is your favorite bet of the week? Go back to the four-team teaser in the NFL. It's been good to me for the most part. It wasn't good last week. I'm going to take the Rams down. I'm going to take a six-point teaser. I'm going to take the Rams down to laying one point at home against Arizona. I'm going to take the Bengals up to three, getting three at home against Seattle. I'm going to take uh, Atlanta up to three and a half at home against Washington. And I'm going to take Tennessee up to 10 in that neutral site game in London against Baltimore. Tennessee 10, you said? Yes. Or 10 and a half? 10. 10. All right. So that is Rams minus one, Bengals plus three, Atlanta plus three and a half, and Tennessee plus 10. Yep. All right. I am going with a college football game. I really like Duke minus three over North Carolina State. Now, before you comment here, I realize Riley Leonard, the quarterback for Duke, has a bum ankle. He is questionable, but they did just have a week off. They say he's gotten better. They're saying he's still questionable. It's unknown. I'm guessing he's going to play in this game, but even if he doesn't, their backup looked pretty good a few weeks ago, and I really think this NC State team just stinks. I think- God, it feels like every week you've, you've bet on or against NC State. Well, the first week of the season, I bet oh, them wow. to beat UConn, yes, and then I right. saw them lose to UConn, and I realized this team is horrible. And so I've bet against them multiple times since then, and it's worked every time. Right, I'm definitely go. doing it here because I think this Duke team is pretty damn good with or without their starting quarterback. So a uh, minus three feels like a gift. And the only reason it's minus three is because Riley Leonard has a bad ankle right, and may not right. play. Otherwise, this would be at least a touchdown. I would agree with that. Yeah. So we'll move into Ask Any Anything. Not a lot to get to here. Okay. So if you guys, uh, you know, it, this we've had good weeks recently with questions, but this was a down week. So if you, you want to get a question in, especially the goofier, the better. These are more sports-related questions. But we'll start with, uh, assume the Reds have 90 to 100 million to spend this offseason. Would you give 50 or 60 million to Shohei Otani for one year to DH only? Let him hit 80 bombs for the Reds, rehab his shoulder, and then he can get his next big contract the following year? Oh, man, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I am. I'm going to say no to that. Yeah, I mean, it. first of all, it's just so ridiculous. It would never yeah. – I mean, Shohei Otani's not signing a one-year deal anywhere. So No, correct. Um, yeah, I'm, I, and I'm still going to pass on that even if he would sign here for the 40 mil. I'm, I'm, I, I get your point. I just – I'd rather spend that money on pitching and, and, and have my core of players that, that I'm going to, going to, going to build around. I mean, no offense, Shohei Otani and, and Mike Trout are two great stars and the angels have done absolutely nothing with them. And maybe honestly, at the end of the day, they're just stat stuffing losers. Maybe. Could be, could be. I mean, I, I would be worried about breaking up the core of this team and like completely changing the focus of it. Yeah. To, now we're going to be a big spending free agent, one man. I don't think that's what this team is built on. I don't think that's what they should. It's be an interesting on. question, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that taking yeah. place. And, and I mean, it, it's something that would never ever happen. So it's completely hypothetical. How many fewer games is skinny winning than bill self? If he coached Kansas this year, I, I'm sure this is said <laughs> uh, given the IARP yeah. ruling came out. Kansas was, wrong but they basically got nothing for it other than the suspensions they'd already levied a few years ago so uh bill self will be coaching this year but if he wasn't skinny how many fewer wins would you lead kansas to than bill self probably none i probably would be just i, I probably win just as many as bill self would win roll them out let's go <laughs> fair enough uh and finally i don't know if this is an inside joke or not but austin elmore wanted to know our guy audi how many pairs of jordans do you own don't own any pair of Jordans, actually. That's that, that, that's an interesting question. I never I never did have a pair of Jordans. Did you? Were you a Jordan guy? Yeah, I, I was in the main, like the Jordan yeah. era. All, all growing up, those were like he was still playing and his shoes were coming out. And then when I got to high school and college, they retroed all of them and they became like the big designer shoe. I mean, there was a point from, I want to say like 2003 to 2008 or so, where the only hot shoe for guys was Jordans. If you didn't have some type of Jordan, it was like you were... What are you doing here? You know. Well, Joe Burrow was was sporting the Jordan brand cleats, although he didn't want to talk about those cleats when he was asked a couple of times yesterday, and he kind of covered it up. So there has to be some kind of business deal about to go down there or is going down, and that's why he didn't want to talk about them. Yeah, what was that? He, he kept saying, I don't know what you're talking about when people asked, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. And I, I th- I'm going to guess that whatever business deal is going down has not gone down yet. So until it goes down, I don't know what you're talking about. 
He's been expanding his uh, his business dealing. He had the Kroger thing going on for a couple of years now, but now he jumped into body armor within the last year. And yep. sounds like we've got a Jordan deal coming up, yep. which not bad. Jordan's not a, yep. a not not a ba- bad brand to associate yourself with, I guess. I will tell you the only time I bought a pair of pair of basketball shoes because somebody else wore them was I bought Converse All Stars back in the eighties when Bird and Magic were, were repping Converse All Stars, the high tops. Is that did you guys do that as much? I mean, because when I was growing up, it was pretty much all that. Like every kid was buying a shoe because of the, their favorite athlete or whatever. Was that a thing when you guys were kids, or was that um, newer? No, because I most of the most of the time growing up, we were we were Chuck Taylor Converse people. I mean, that that's literally and everyone was wearing ponies. Yeah, correct. Well, I so I had a pair of pony pony cleats and a, I had a pair of Puma spikes from baseball because Reggie Jackson wore Puma spikes, so I thought they were cool. Didn't like most of the teams wear like a team. Uh, shoe like that though that were all kind of the same looking back then? yeah yes yeah so you didn't have the individual shoe deals and stuff like that as much Correct. in general yeah all right that makes sense yeah i mean for me it was it was uh the the coolest pair of shoes i had growing up was actually Dion sanders a primetime gold red and gold and black cross trainer when he was doing stuff with the 49ers still and it had the logo was a home plate with a field goal post coming out of nice it. yes yeah. very yeah, nice pretty sweet no, I, I got I got made fun of a couple a couple of years ago, a couple of three years ago by our friend James Rapine. I I usually every year when when they had the Adidas tent sale out at Turfway Park, I would go buy two pairs of of, of Adidas, um, and then next year come around buy two new, and they'd be different pairs. One would be kind of a, a basketball shoeish for for coaching, and the other one would be kind of more of a dressy sneaker to wear around. So I just picked out this pair of black ones that I liked. They were black with the, the Adidas white stripes. I liked what they looked like. I was you know. So I wore him to, to Bengals camp one year and he looked down, he goes, repping RG3s. I didn't even notice that they were RG3s at the time. I'm like, sure, old school. I, I RG3s not even in the league anymore, but I got me some RG3s. Absolutely. And he always now he bugs me about bringing those out at, at some point. He goes, got to wear those RG3s again. So maybe, maybe I will just for him. That's that's awesome. Is it like uh, I actually one time bought a pair of Michael Vick like cross trainers from the Nike outlet after all and had no idea. Had, do you have any idea what they were? Oh, you... I knew they had oh, like okay. the logo and everything, but they had been marked down so much because you know the dog thing. So sure. uh, his stuff wasn't selling the same way. But it'd be funny to like do what you did unknowingly if the player was. I literally did. I, Aaron I mean, I'll, Hernandez I'll, or something. Yeah, I look I'm like, oh, these look really good. I like these, and all of a sudden he's the one that noticed they were RG threes, and I looked down at them. Oh gosh, they are. You're right. I did. I had no idea. So why was Austin Elmore asking you about Jordans? Did that come up on an appearance recently? Did Tony Pike have Jordans? No, I, I'm only having guesses. I'm wondering if he's, he's he's relating it to what Burrow, the Burrow. Oh, yeah, been. that must have that must have been yeah. it. He must have been uh, calling back. To Burrow. All right, well that's all we got. Appreciate it as always. Keep the questions coming. We will be back next week with another podcast. Until then, for Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, a weekly pro edition presented by Blake, the attorney amazing.